stuff your ears with cotton, you know, avert mm-hmm. your eyes, make sure the harpies don't, uh, it was the harpies, right? Uh, the uh, sirens. The sirens. Yeah, make sure the mm-hmm. sirens don't draw you off your boat. from the Menendrous Elementary School in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 168 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about controlling the thoughts and actions of others. But first, the rogue traders have an accord in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the lie detector can spot the slightest dissembling in the character creation forge. Uh, Shane, of course, you, you mean they have a Honda Accord. Yes. Yes. A Honda Accord. We finally upgraded. We mm-hmm. used to have a Tercel. Right. Which is a Toyota. <laughs> so that An landed. upgrade. <laughs> so Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Arch Villain Games. They're having a Kickstarter through October 30th selling character sheet gauntlets, which at least this copy says are kind of like binders for your character sheet. But I don't know. They look more like book covers to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they look like the covers of the old third edition uh, core books where they have like leather and um, like rivets and orbs and things attached to them. And the cleric one even has like uh, stained glass. Yeah, like the crazy old tomes that the third edition books looked like because they looked amazing. Mm -hmm. So they've got patent pending design, uh, figurine level detail, which... I believe means that uh, the level of detail on the front of these binders is equivalent to a very nice miniature, which I don't know if you've seen good miniatures is very high. Mm-hmm. It will make your character sheet the most beautiful thing at the table. Except for your GM. Well. Your GM, really. So the character sheet gauntlets uh, include detailed covers themed around the fighter, rogue, cleric, and wizard classes, and each one holds five character sheets. You can get them painted or unpainted, and they're made of high-durability ABS injection-molded plastic. You know, Archvillain Games spent over $40,000 on design and prototyping. I believe that's a lot. Yeah, indeed. (laughs) They are available both painted and unpainted, and if you would like to paint them yourselves, you can also add on a paint kit from Army Painter. They're designed to lie flat on the table and blend nicely with your terrain, especially, I guess, if you painted your terrain yourself. And they are designed with a sliding tray that holds your character sheet and snaps it into place. You know, a sliding tray is also useful for your DM's pizza. Mm-hmm. 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 You can head over to archvillaingames.com or search for them on Kickstarter to grab your Archvillain character sheet gauntlet today. So, Shane, um, this is a bit weird for me to talk about. It's a little strange, uh, but I think you might understand. Um, I have been playing in a fantasy football league. Mm-hmm. How is that going? Uh, oh, really poorly. So, so badly. Um, I'm not good at it because I don't know anything about football. Apparently, there's some position called a tight end and mine are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, yep. <laughs> look, look, I maintain that this is not my fault in any way. It is not because I lack system mastery. It is purely bad luck. The dice, so to speak, have not been with me this season. That is how uh, 11 out of 12 members of every fantasy football league feel. That's, that's exactly right. Look, I was doing fine until um, Wait, I had a great first game. And then uh, Greg Olson 
broke his foot. Uh-huh. There's the injury. Right. Yeah. It's all been injuries. It's like, it really feels like I'm playing Magic the Gathering Draft, but in between every game, someone randomly sets cards on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's... I just have to be like, uh, will this one hold up for one more game or do I have to like chuck it? It's almost like football is a dangerous game. <laughs> oh, really? Really? Almost. That harms people who play it. Mm, mm, it's very true. It's, it's a bit like White Wolf or Rifts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anything, you, anything you do with Palladium, is, it's going to hurt you more than you hurt it. Oh, very true. All right, so I'm doing terribly, but I'm al- already resigned to my fate, Okay, quite honestly. That's good. It's good to get that out of the way in week four. All right, so Shane, speaking of failing spectacularly, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malajact, the Rogue Traders have abandoned the Verza House, the ancient obsidian fortress powered by a powerful psychic engine of Zinch that was once visited by the fallen Dark Angel, Lord Cypher. So, after your catastrophic losses in the defense of the Verza House... 90%. Mm-hmm, you are trekking back across the craggy surface towards your HQ, hoping that you will survive long enough to meet the rescue party that Inquisitor Felicitas has sent for you. Fortunately, we did, because after just a few days, we are greeted in person by Lord Captain Roth, a rival rogue trader with whom we have decided to parlay so that we can all get off this stupid, terrible planet alive. Yeah. Um, And in this process, I think the uh, stress and, uh, you know, general weirdness and warpiness and, um, you know, having just witnessed nine out of ten men fall in combat, uh, Archmilitant Draco is growing increasingly agitated over this sort of uh, rogue traderly bickering that's going on here. Um, it might also have something to do with the out-of-character whiskey. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, kids. <laughs> Don't drink in Draco. <laughs> so, Draco is, is, frankly, attempting to provoke Roth into a fight um, is really the only way to describe what he's doing. And... Ultimately, this is his un- this is his demise. Um, he is just unceremoniously slagged by Ross Gunslinger Ringo uh, with an Inferno pistol. Um, Look, who thought Ringo would ever do anything useful or interesting on his own? <laughs> I mean, it was just a moment of one one moment his head is there, and the next moment it's a fiery, flaming melt a mess. Yeah. Now. At this moment, we are still backed by a fair number of heavily armed men, all who are a bit jumpy because we thought we were about to get rescued and then our arch militant gets his head vaporized. Yeah. So Trank is in the position of determining what happens next because, you know, he and Draco had um, uh, equal rank. So (laughs) with Draco gone, it looks like Trank's totally in charge and Trank raises a gauntleted fist in the air and gives the hold sign. Yeah. No, actually, hold on. (laughs) That was fair. (laughs) We're not going to fight about this. (laughs) Uh, He he deserved it. Right. right? Yeah, he deserved it. (laughs) Look, Trank, Trank is famous for not taking the shot. Yeah, exactly. Didn't shoot the war truck. 
We're not going to retaliate right now because, oh my God, I'm so tired and I just want to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, so Trank and the Seneschal Trix uh, continue the negotiations uh, totally unfazed. And without Draco's hectoring, you're able to actually make some progress and, and it ends up concluding pretty quickly. Basically, you land on an agreement where Roth will lobby the Inquisitor to free the His Enduring Light and its crew from, from her service and in turn license you, uh, one of his colonies, um, to run on like a profit share uh, while you're recovering from the horrors of Malachact. Wait, what is this, a plot hook? Yeah, almost almost like there's a carrot dangling in front of you. Woohoo! Um, look, this sounds great. And, you know, we do some negotiation. Like, fine, we'll profit share for the first few years, but then it's going to titrate down to like 5%, and then after 10 years, it's all ours, mm-hmm. sucker. Yep. <laughs> and uh, and Roth is like, that's fine. I mean, I'll make so much money if you can. If I stop having to pour money into this colony and you guys can bring it into the Imperium, like I'm gonna do just fine on this. So sure. right. And then we were like, oh, damn it, we should ask for more. Yeah, he gave yeah. up too easily. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I think we'll figure out later why he gave up so easily. <laughs> <laughs> so the two dynasties, Roth and Lionheart, now bound together uh, by their love and sharing of profits begin to stow their gear and get ready to resume their march back to HQ. However, while we're packing up to leave, Trank, in his head, hears a sobbing whisper cry, Help me! And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we're talking about mind control. Uh, So there are plenty of abilities in RPGs that let characters control either the thoughts or the actions of other characters. But, I mean, I see constantly people asking questions on forums or sort of complaining about particular effects. You run into all of these adjudication problems, you know. What's the, there are questions about, like, the extent of how much control you have over a person. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, like, when you are using these kinds of effects or, you know, you're a GM and you're controlling the actions of your party members, like, what do you even want to, like, have them do, you know? Usually it boils down to, uh, I don't know, hit a guy. Or, you know, use that big spell on something that's useful to me instead of something that's useful to you. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about how to get the most out of your mind-controlled minions, uh, as well as what to do when it inevitably happens to you. So first off, a quick rundown of the different kinds of mind control, because they usually have different effects in-game. Story-wise, too, not just mechanically. So first off, there's what you might call charm. That is when uh, you force a formerly hostile or indifferent creature to be friendly to you. Yeah, so this won't give you any control over their actions, but it kind of gives you a leg up in social standing. So it's like getting an introduction from a mutual acquaintance or, um, you know, oh, yeah, we go back a bit. I remember you from somewhere. Yeah, this is sort of the biggest like mistake that I see with these kinds of usually low-level abilities is, ah, I've charmed the shopkeeper. That means they will give us their entire inventory. The, they will fight in my um, in my army now that I've charmed this crowd. Right. Like, no, charm means that they're inclined to help you, but they're not going to go... They're usually not even going to go out of their way to help you, and they definitely won't put themselves in danger for you. Yeah, it's like they, they might stay open late or, uh, you know, make an introduction for you, you know, stuff like that, but they're not going to help you commit a robbery or, you know, go exact street justice on on some 
malcontent. Yeah, like, you know, you're like friend of a friend who you really like. Are you going to lose your job for them? No, of course not. So the second level up uh, is something that we might call brainwashing. That is when there is an, an implanted command. But the resolution of that command is usually adjudicated by the target. So the person who has been brainwashed is the one who's deciding the actions that they take in order to fulfill a command. You know, it's often carried out subconsciously. Um, it's kind of similar to like the D&D suggestion spell where you just told someone, you haven't told someone to do something. You've just said, hey, I think it's probably a very good idea that you do this thing. And the magic has has had them go, yeah, I think you're probably right. Huh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yep. I guess this is maybe this is Inception. Yeah, or uh, or Zoolander. Yeah. <laughs> but how do I kill the Malaysian prime minister? <laughs> kill that Eurasian dude. <laughs> uh, so in this instance, wording is extremely important when in order to like get the particular kind of effect that you actually want, because the target themselves is is interpreting the command. So that's interesting because, you know, this isn't like a wish ability either. You know, like it's it's meant to be. It's like the reverse, right? You can't add specific clauses to this uh, and like um, harness the target, but you, right, like there's no legalese, right? But you do need to kind of give them like specific enough directions that they generally just follow along in the path that you're looking for them to do. So you know, if it's kill somebody or attack somebody with your sword, you know, like those types of things are are kind of straightforward, but one of them might involve not using spells, for example. Right. Or if it's sabotage the negotiations, well, the person that you're using that effect on is going to be the main determining factor in exactly how that sabotage takes place and whether they get caught and whether they're successful. Right. You know, they only really have their own abilities to rely on and their own knowledge. Um, so, you know, someone who's a bit more brash might just like take out a gun and start shooting a couple people and they'll probably also get killed. But maybe that sabotages the negotiations. Right. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah. So this is like the uh, the territory of unforeseen consequences most often. Right. Because it's how would this person follow this command to the best of their ability? Oh, that's not how I would do it. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. And there's also that situation where, you know, like typically the brainwashed person is like, you know, sweating a lot and having problems in, in their life because they don't really know what's going on with them. Um, I kind of like that with the suggestion spell. We don't usually get that kind of effect. Usually, you know, they're just sort of like traipsing off and doing the thing that you asked them to do, like doop 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 But I like the idea that they're going about their normal life, but then they just have this this thing that they just really feel like they need to do. Like it's just such, such a good idea and it can cause a lot of conflict. Mm-hmm. So the next uh, the next stage up would be compulsion. Um, this is where magic or, or some effect requires the target to follow orders without question. But it doesn't mean that you have total control over all of their actions. Uh, in, in a compulsion scenario, the target is still determining the best way to carry out those actions. And that can sort of manifest in a couple of different ways. It, it can be a bit like uh, the brainwashing where like they have a task and they're on board with the task and they're going to they're going to do it. Uh, but, you know, they're figuring out the, the best way to do it. It could also be that they know they're being controlled and they hate that they're being controlled, but they have orders and they have to follow those orders. But they can creatively interpret exactly how they follow those orders. So the Gesh spell, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or how what kind of action is worth taking 5d10 psychic damage? Right. Um, this is also like uh 
sort of the baseline effect of the 5e D&D dominate spells where like if you don't do anything else with no action you've cast the spell on them and you can just like give them a command and say go do this thing and they'll go do it but you don't have 100% control over the way in which they do it. Uh, however above that there is the domination effect that is full and total control of another character's actions they are basically your puppet this is like a high-end uh 40k abilities as i think puppet master mm -hmm. is uh what it's typically called in universe yep yeah like if you use your action you can tell them exactly specifically what to do this is kind of the gold standard of mind control in in rpgs it is amazingly useful you can turn the tables in a fight by saying all right that person that's now on our side um we've just flipped everything you can use it for infiltrating organizations you know if you dominate uh, someone who has access to where you don't suddenly you've got a, a spy an unwilling mole mm -hmm. this is is fun because it's great as both a plot device and as like a character ability um so you know obviously it's very dangerous to do this to a pc um, or for a PC to do that to a, to an enemy. But then like, it's always great when like NPCs are doing it to each other and that gives you the motivation for somebody who you otherwise trusted or know would never act in this way of their own volition. It's great for moving the levers of power. Um, if you dominate the Empress, uh, well, her word is law. So if yeah. you are putting words in her mouth, you now write laws. So then the next step up is ego destruction. This is where the target is now just a shell uh, and the insides have been replaced. So these are things like mind seed or um, what Cylons do. Yeah, or, or like old horror movies like pod people, you know, oh, they've been taken and replaced. Like it, it could be like functionally in the story it could be, you know, you're, you've been killed and replaced by a clone that just happens to look like you. Um it could be that your brains have been scooped out or whatever, but like functionally it is like a person that you thought you knew and trusted is now a totally different person on the inside. Yeah. And that could also mean like a person who is destroyed, right? Like I think ego destruction is a common theme in some of the like Eldritch horror kind of mm. games as well. Right. Like that, that's what, that's what the madness of like Cthulhu is, <laughs> right? It's, it destroys the ego. It makes you no longer a functional person. Right, or like 40k corruption. You know, if you like fill out the corruption track and now the game says you become an NPC, it is essentially like your body isn't destroyed, you know? Well, You're that's, just in, that's a insanity. different person. Well, yeah, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> corruption means you no longer have a soul. <laughs> insanity means you no longer have a mind. <laughs> Look, I'm in control of the character now. <laughs> You're going to be a totally different person. The reason you guys keep getting corruption in Dynasty Unwarranted is just that the corruption track is way more fun for the players, and insanity is just bad. I mean, also because we keep doing heretical things. Well, that's also, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's always edge cases where it could go either way, but uh, I tend to bias towards corruption because corruption gives you fun things to deal with instead of like, oh, no, I just have a straight up like minus 10 on stuff that I used to be good at now. Great. Yeah, uh, it's harder to see things. Right. Eh. Uh, and then there's also possession, which is kind of off to the side in that um, it often progresses through the steps that we just outlined. You know, like uh, the first time someone is influenced by a demon or a ghost or something, usually it's just mild influence, you know, and then you find yourself doing a thing and you don't know why you were doing that thing. And then, you know, you have blackout periods where you were totally controlled by this other entity 
Um, and then, you know, finally, eventually, often, like, you know, the demon takes over and, like, you are just a demon inside a human shell. Yeah, I think classically, especially in the demon and or, or at least on the devil possession side, um, the first step isn't suggestion. The first step is choice. <laughs> the first step is consent. The, yeah, it, which might be preceded by a, a quick friend spell just to make you, you know, friendlier, it, willing to talk to a devil. I don't. Is that true? I don't think devils would do that. Um, it might depend on the devil. Yeah. Or, you know, the devil would probably have someone else do it. Like, I, I wouldn't do that. That's coercive. Yeah, maybe. I guess it depends on, like, how classically, like, C.S. Lewis your devils are. <laughs> oh, trick. <laughs> like, are we screw taping here? What's yeah. going on? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure C.S. Lewis, uh, made up devil stuff the same way that took and made up elf stuff. Yeah, probably. <laughs> So you're saying they both borrowed it from uh, Paradise Lost? Uh, yes. Okay. And the crazier stuff from the Book of Revelation. All right. Back to mind control. So when you're using these effects, whether you're a player or a GM, you're going to need to, you're going to want to know your limits before you actually like really try to use these effects. Uh, you want to know what exactly does it do. So first off, consider what level of control you actually have over the person. And then you think about what kinds of commands are you actually allowed to give? Um, they did this thing in 4th edition D&D where a lot of dominate spells uh, only let you command the target to use at-will abilities. This was so that you know you didn't get um, mind-controlled and then like blow all of your like high-level cool abilities and then you weren't able to use them. Uh, 5e doesn't have that restriction anymore. Like. Mm-hmm. Like Shane, like you said earlier, like the main thing you do when you dominate someone is say, hey, blow your biggest spell. Right. Like, even if it's not useful to me right now, just waste it so it can't be used against me. Yeah, I like you not having that. Uh, think about how long it lasts. If you're using an effect that lasts one round or like one minute, there's no point in giving instructions that can't be fully carried out unless they're going to have longer term consequences. Right. Or you're going to use dominate multiple times. Yeah, it, like it's a great thing to be like, oh, smash that thing, you know? Oh, and now you're not controlled anymore, but I don't care. It's destroyed. Right. Um, also think about whether or not you share senses. Like, can you actually see what the target is seeing, hear what they're thinking? Like, do you know when your dominate effect has ended and how far they got in following out your instructions? Or are you kind of having to figure that out after the fact? Yeah, this is especially useful for like the long-term inception type abilities. You know, if they're going off on their own or they're infiltrating somewhere, it's very helpful to have some sort of um, ping telling you that, hey, hey, it wore off or like it's not working anymore or that it got dispelled. But or you they don't succeeded. usually get those. They succeeded on their save. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, what are the restrictions on the, the format that the commands take? Um, or like other kinds of restrictions. Like sometimes it's only one word, like one single word, which means that you obviously give your instructions in German. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Often there's no self-harm, a no self-harm clause. You know, you can't directly hurt yourself, but, you know, maybe they can hurt other people. Maybe they can indirectly hurt themselves. Yeah, there's Um, always that like won't do anything obviously dangerous. It's like, okay, just walk into the darkness then. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't walk off the cliff. <laughs> uh or there's like often a nebulous like they won't act counter to their interests, which just means you need to make it seem like it is in their interests. 
And then I think one of the most important uh, factors to keep in mind is, does the target know they're being controlled in the moment? And then will the target remember they were controlled after the fact? Like that's a lot of like charm effects, for example, have that restriction or have that drawback where at the end of it, they know they were charmed. So they're, they're going to go from like, oh yeah, they like me to, oh yeah, they hate me. Uh, right as that spell ends. All right. So once you've considered all these things, um, when is it a good time to use dominate effects? Uh, well, that depends. Am I a player or am I a GM? Yeah, I think uh, one of the mantras that uh, was very common in fourth edition was dominate is better than dead. Uh, and I think that it's definitely true here. It's like if you're going down the list of effects in terms of what's the the best thing you want, uh, yeah, it's great if an enemy is dead. It is so much better if they're dominated. Yeah, <laughs> with that one caveat of you've got to be able to dead them afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> you just uh, If you do it right, they're deading themselves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> For GMs, though, it is uh, much trickier. Because remember that mind control effects remove agency from your players, probably more than any other effects used in game. So if you're going to use them, they're best used in short bursts. Or you're going to have like particular kinds of enemies or a particular enemy that uses it in a thematic way so that your players can prepare for it. Yeah, and there's also different types of agency that you can remove, right? Like there's um there's a way or there's like a host of spells or or effects that basically mean you're dictating to the player what they're doing and all they get to do is roll the dice. There's other effects where you can kind of have the above table agreement with the player of like look, like as a player, you are now playing an enemy. Like your character is totally bought into this idea and wants to carry out these instructions to the best of their ability. So play it from my perspective, right? Like I'll let you make the decisions, um, but we have to have that good faith agreement that you're going to try and kill the party uh, as best you can because that's what your job is now. You've been banshee whaled. You get into these cool situations where above the table, people are apologizing to each other. They're like, I'm, I'm so sorry, but like, I smite. Yeah, <laughs> I got to use my level five smite. <laughs> right. <laughs> this going to hurt. Yeah, I think when you're using it, it is it is best to tell people maybe what their actions are going to be and let them, you know, make as many decisions as possible, whether that's, hey, you're fighting it, figure out how you interpret, or like you said, you're totally bought into this. Um, I would shy away from situations where you say, here is how you feel or, or here is what you think about this situation. You mostly want to let the players do that. It, maybe it works in a flashback where it's like, oh, you did this terrible thing and like, oh, the worst thing is that you you liked it, you know? But I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't play that out. Yeah. I, again, I, I think that depends on the effect, right? Like like you said, if you're not aware that you're being dominated, your feeling just changes. You, you need to set that context for the player, even if it's not necessarily like how the character is going to feel after it ends. So I think, yeah, you, you need to have these conversations above the table or ahead of time because these kinds of effects have the most long-term potential to actually ruin a PC's backstory or it can ruin their affinity for their character. You know, if they've done a thing that like the player just finds abhorrent, then it really affects how much you enjoy actually playing that character anymore. You know, like there always is a bit of uh, projection into our own characters, you know? So you do want to tread lightly on the long-term consequences uh, unless you're you're sure that people are going to be fine with it or that you've had conversations before. You know, like 
we always talk about, you know, what do you, how do you like get people invested? Uh, well, you kill their family, right? And now, now there's a revenge subplot. Uh, but it's a very different thing to have the PC kill their own family in the game. You know, that uh, probably is more motivating, <laughs> but it can also um, sort of derail things if you, you have a player who like just didn't really like that or you end up in, in getting into like this sort of like guilt-shame spiral instead of revenge. Although those stories can be interesting. You just want to be careful with them. Yeah, I mean, it totally depends on what that player is looking for out of the game, right? So that's why it's a risk. Uh, it can work. It can also be a disaster. Yeah, so speaking of which, we should mention before we get too deep into this, um, remember that you've got the X card at your table. You know, if someone, if something is happening and anyone at the table for any reason is very uncomfortable with it, they can just, you know, put their hand down or, you know, somebody tables actually have an actual card with an X on it, put it on the table and just say, hey, I, I don't want to go down this this path. I prefer not to talk about this. And everyone else at the table just goes, you, okay, totally fine. We move on. So when you're using mind control, players should always have the ability to say that they're not comfortable with, with what their character is being forced to do. You know, and you know, players don't use this in a situation where it's like, oh, I'm not comfortable that like my character is attacking the rest of the party. Like that's not what this is for. You know, this is for like above the table. Like I, uh, I don't enjoy what's happening right now. Like, can we like move on to something else? Because I think one of the one issue that comes up on forums a lot is is you get sort of this creepy use of mind control. Like, yeah, remember just that Reddit. it's Col- just Reddit. What's we'll it again? It's just Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people are on Reddit. 4chan. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah but you get what you get at 4chan. You knew you knew what you, you were knew doing. What you were walking into. Is TG any better than B? <laughs> uh, but anyway, yes. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, just remember that, like in real life, coercive rape is actually a thing. You know, so like, don't use charm person as a roofie spell. Like, that's not actually how it works. But don't play it that way either. Um, and tread really carefully, even when villains are using mind control um for like you know sexual coercion you know even if it's to use to you're using it to show how evil they are uh uh, in general i'd probably just avoid it unless everyone at the table has like uh proactively bought into that yeah i mean there are plenty of ways to show evil without using sexual assault as the theme so maybe just don't do that all right from a more practical perspective uh, when you are using mind control effects, the most important thing is choosing the right command. So your wording here is almost always going to be extremely important. Um, a lot of mind control effects have a stipulation that the target needs to be able to understand what you're telling it to do. Um, usually you speak it. Sometimes it's mental, but some often you speak it. So a common language is going to be necessary. So you're going to want to consider... Uh, making sure that your character has enough languages so that they can actually communicate with their targets or, you know, have some sort of translation available. Will this new ally take commands through like another, another character who's interpreting for you? You know, if I don't speak goblin, but the ranger does, can I tell the goblin to like through the ranger to do my abilities or does the magic not work that way? Right. As with everything in mind control, uh, it kind of goes from simpler, simplest to most complicated. And of course, the simplest is going to be a one-word command. Uh, usually, these spells include like a list of options. Um, so things like attack, flee, uh, cower, grovel. You just want to pick the one that's going to have the most impact in whatever context you need. Figure out like 
what does it mean for a character to drop everything that they're carrying? Like, are there actions associated with having to pick those things back up, like getting your weapon back in hand? Or are there opportunity attacks that are going to be incurred by asking them to flee right now? Yeah, are they flying on the back of a dragon? Then dropping what they're carrying is probably a great idea. Yeah, it's going to be a long way away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're going to want to use verbs and get very specific with your synonyms. Um, Instead of saying attack, say kill. You know, that that uh, includes uh, more instruction with just one word. Uh, using flee or retreat describes a direction better than just saying run. And often these one word commands are more powerful in the right situation than the more complicated but like squishier suggestions. You know, you get more control in exchange for it being very short term. Um, you know, you can't suggest that someone jumps off a cliff because that's obviously dumb. But if you tell them, you know, approach and there happens to be a ravine in between the two of you, well, uh, in a lot of cases, the effect says that like they just do it. It only lasts six seconds, but that's all it takes to fall down a cliff. That's that's what that pit trap is there for. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know it's there, but you don't. Um, another technique here is to make sure that you're giving orders that would seem beneficial to the target, You know, especially with those lower order effects when you really only become friendly. Um, you know, the shopkeeper isn't going to give you any money, like, but they might donate it to a charity or maybe buy a lottery ticket or something like that. Um, or a might... thousand lottery tickets. <laughs> right, yeah. They might fall for an obvious scheme because they trust you implicitly, even though they wouldn't do something completely antithetical to their character. Yeah, even enemies this can work on. You know, if you're fighting uh, and you're, you command enemies to protect the king... That might result in them running back to the castle where the king is, which probably works much better than retreat. And these kinds of instructions, you know, the ones that seem beneficial to the target are pretty much necessary for inception type mind control. You know, you have to you're you're trying to plant an idea in their head. It has to be one that they like. Right. Don't trust your target unless you have some sort of mind uh, reading as well as mind control. Uh, remember that they always could try to creatively interpret your instructions. Even if the spell doesn't say that on the tin, the GM may let them do that. So if they're going to go off and do a thing, it's helpful to require evidence or just put them through a test. So if you are going to, con- if you want a loyal knight to assassinate the king, it can be very helpful if you make them assassinate their friend just to see if it's actually sticking. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just give you all their money. I like that too. Yeah, if you're asking them to do things for you, it's always good to also make sure they bring back proof. Um, nothing like an unreliable, nothing solves an unreliable narrator like the head of your enemy in a sack. Right? Don't ask for ears. Why does everyone ask for ears? <laughs> hey, man, I'll trade you an ear for escaping this assassination plot. <laughs> I gotta be honest, I'm probably not taking that deal, but there's probably a few times where I should have. What about a toe? <laughs> depends which one <laughs> I mean for a million dollars it depends which one <laughs> uh, your girlfriend's pinky toe well my girlfriend or my wife I mean well it, it's it's important because I like one of them more than the other <laughs> Shane being Shane <laughs> yeah. alright consider the long term consequences like what happens after the effect is over um, and, and this goes for not just you know oh are they going to be mad at me which like it doesn't matter if they're dead but if you can dominate someone who has ninth level spells, dominate person, which is a fifth level spell, and ha- make them cast wish, remember, there's a 33% chance that they can't ever cast wish again. That's on them, not you. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> tread carefully as a GM there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> also, tread carefully as a spellcaster who who is a humanoid and can cast wish. Right. <laughs> uh, or something like true polymorph, right? Um, polymorph this other object. Yeah, you can permanently become something else as a result. Right, true polymorph me into, into a, a dragon. Into a gold dragon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, players, or I guess GMs as well when you're running your characters. There are many ways to resist mind control. The first, of course, it is good to have a strong will. It is always the dumb barbarian who's getting brainwashed. I love seeing barbarians when I'm a GM and I'm using mind control. Yeah. <laughs> they, are, uh, they are large baskets of hit points and angry axes. Right. Oh, thank you for that. I will take one. Yoink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excuse me while I go gank the mage. <laughs> Um, a lot of times, uh, there are additional chances to resist. So you might have regular saving throws, like at the end of a turn. Um, anytime you take damage, you might get a saving throw. Um, sometimes that makes it better to go ahead and lightly attack your ally to grant them an extra save, or maybe just include them in an area effect so that they can get an extra save rather than like waiting for them to do something very catastrophic and then save at the end of their turn. Yeah, and if you're being controlled, it might be useful for you to do something dangerous if that's allowed. You know, if you're supposed to go attack someone, maybe run directly through the campfire to get there. Right. Of course, there's always dispelling. Um, Usually in this instance, it requires help from an ally. So there are a lot of abilities that let characters shake off effects. You know, I I think um, the monk has one. You know, you use an action and... Uh, you end like one effect on yourself. Um, it happened a lot in like 3.5. Fighters can do that sort of thing. But mind control is like that rare instance where you typically can't do it because you can't take the action to relieve yourself of the mind control. So it's almost always someone else has to release you from it. Of course, you know, if your caster doesn't have dispel magic uh, prepared, that's fine. Hopefully they have a dominate prepared. They can just also mind control you. Uh, opposed mind control works fine here. Yep, and then, of course, you can always kill the caster or, like, in 5th edition, right, just break their concentration. Yeah, why would you not be geeking the mage already? Um, I think of, like, uh, a sort of, like, Samson scenario uh, where you're sort of, like, surrounded by your enemies. Uh, I mean, he wasn't mind-controlled, but, like, you could be mind-controlled and you're in the middle because you're considered, like, a um, a faithful minion right now, but you can you can sort of, like, do your attack or your effect in a way that uh, maybe injures yourself. Like, you know, you knocked on the pillar that brings down the entire uh, ceiling. Yeah, that hurts the enemies, the people that you're being told to attack, but also the uh, collateral damage can uh, kill uh, or injure the people who are mind controlling you. You know, and maybe also at great cost to yourself. So uh, they also say that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So there are some ways to prepare. Uh, yourself for resisting mind control if you know that that's a risk so um, a good example is don't come in armed and armored (laughs) don't come in with all of your buff spells like don't plan to resist it plan to hamstring yourself when you are controlled yeah I you know you don't need to like throw away your weapons just lots of buckles and things that take a couple of actions to like tug open you know right Oh, I'm being commanded to attack. I guess I'm just going to hit him with my hands. Um, 
one you you can draw one from the original source material tie yourself to the mast stuff your ears with cotton you know avert mm-hmm. your eyes make sure the mm-hmm. sirens don't draw you off your boat yeah like do a little reconnaissance hey they make men go mad uh you're gonna sail by there though so you know you might want to <laughs> might want to do something before you before you show up mm-hmm. um you could also water like, breathing maybe that probably actually would be the best thing <laughs> that or just take a you know a mild sedative <laughs> sleep, sleep through <laughs> right. the whole problem <laughs> a sleep spell you know that always prevents mind control right <laughs> one charm for another <laughs> uh, and when you're controlled test the limits of your actions am i restricted to only doing the commands or like, if i fulfill the commands am i free to sort of do other things around it or adjacent to them yeah so if the command is attack your ally then you know are you able to, for example, drop your sword and attack them unarmed? Or attack them verbally. <laughs> yeah, you're the worst. I hate you, duty face. That only works in some games so. where social damage isn't actually a thing. <laughs> <laughs> or if you have cutting words. You know, Yeah, ironically, you know where that would not work is the new 40K. <laughs> <laughs> in the grim darkness of the far future, there's only snark. So sometimes it's helpful to mind control your allies. We talked before, you know, if your allies are already mind controlled, you go ahead and mind control them back. Totally fine. In 3.5, this was the most, one of the most common things, which was you had the 3.5 frenzied frenzied berserker who uh, was amazing in combat and would kill all of the enemies, but then had to make will saving throws in order to stop from attacking whoever they saw. So eventually you get to a point where they're about to attack the party. And so you would just have the wizard mind control the barbarian until like the, the rage is over. Yeah. You can also have something like a like a very highly trained or high charisma sorcerer dominating an ally in order to lend them persuasiveness, right? So you could share your skill proficiency through kind of remote control. Yeah, like I'll just be the face through your face because, you know, you have access here. It's kind of an edge case, but I think it's it's an interesting option for role play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, in like broader terms as well, like, I could definitely see a character that is just actually the remote control of some faraway creature, right? Acting as though they have free will like any other character, but that's sort of the like the the far reach of their character backstory is they're actually just a puppet. Yeah, it's a cool plot device that you can definitely work out with your GM. Or, you know, certainly if you're the GM, that works great for an NPC. Yeah. Um that's basically the story of Ravener, the Inquisitor from yeah. 40K. <laughs> Yeah, and actually, it's interesting because Ravener, when he wears people, you know, when he sort of mind controls them, he's body controlling them as, you know, right. more than anything else. They are capable of, f- like, acrobatic feats that they couldn't do on their own. Right. So, in terms of consequences, uh, usually people are dead. So, you know, no big deal. But if they survive or if you're a PC who has been mind controlled, you may feel guilt over the things that you were forced to do. Yep. Depending on... um how you feel about your agency you might then seek atonement in the process um to kind of cleanse your soul or cleanse your conscience yeah i think uh this is a thing a paladin would do right oh i got mind control and I did bad things yes it is not technically me who was doing it but i still must seek atonement and maybe that even means going on a quest mm-hmm. you know like honor demands that i do this um there can also be sort of mistaken identity uh, type complications that that come as a result so like you you did the things that you did and but the people who witnessed it might not have known that you were mind controlled so you might be held to account for the things that you did from a social or from a legal or or like kind of 
broader perspective than just your own internal. Yeah, stabbing is nine-tenths of the law. Actually, sure, you say you're a mind control, but you were holding the blade. Right. Uh, this works really well with, like, if you're high level, you're dealing with all these kinds of mind control, crazy magic effects, but the peasantry doesn't know anything about that stuff. Exactly. You're like, oh, a mind flayer was, and they're like, what's a mind flayer? What are you talking about? No, it was you. We saw you. Yeah, all I know is the baron of our lands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one who conscripted the army and kept the bandits away is now dead. Thank right. you. Um, and then, of course, revenge is is one of the most accessible plots for RPGs, just because that gives you something to keep keep you motivated and moving forward. So to wrap it up, uh, mind control, if used correctly, can be a lot of fun and allows the game to sort of take an internal turn where the conflicts are happening within characters or between uh, characters after the fact rather than strictly in-game. Although you do have a lot of cool, fun in-game stuff where people kind of get to use their abilities PvP. Mm-hmm. Uh, when usually that's not encouraged at the table. And, of course, just tread lightly. Um, you can get into squeaky territory very quickly, um, so make sure that everybody at your table is comfortable with what's going on, and uh, you should be okay. Do you hear that, Ishan? I think that's the sound of a newly incepted idea. I've got great plans for this podcast, Shane. Well, let's move on to the character creation forge and bring it to life. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sends Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPT Cast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you by Cobalt Press. Cobalt Press is currently running the Tales of the Old Margrave Kickstarter right now. Uh, I think it already got funded. It is already funded. Yeah, Cobalt Press funds. <laughs> Co- Cobalt Press, they fund. They fund. They fund. <laughs> so forests and fantasy role-playing games are dark places, full of secrets. The Margrave is an ancient enchanted fortress that defends itself from those who come to cut its timber, poach its creatures, or steal its magic. Just to clarify, just to clarify. It's an enchanted forest, not an enchanted fortress. <laughs> Did I say fortress? Yeah. You know, it is, it is a timber fortress right. uh, built by a, an old druid, probably. Like, if you come to cut this wooden palisades timber. <laughs> if you come, you best cut wood. Right. Uh, within the borders, the old ways are strong, and the word of the druids carries great weight. There are griffins, dragons, and stranger creatures that nest and hunt, undisturbed by humans, dwarves, or other lordlings. Until the adventurers show up. The Tales of the Old Margrave adventure campaign hardcover is for GMs with an adventure that runs from level 1 to 10. And the Margrave Player's Guide softcover book is a tome of new player options, including new races, druid and ranger subclasses and tools, backgrounds, and forest-themed spells. As someone who's playing two druids currently, forest-themed spells are always the best, although I hope you can use them when you're not just in the forest. But I guess maybe this whole thing is just in the forest. So, you know what? Time to play a ranger. Um, favorite terrain, pick forests. <laughs> As we mentioned, this campaign is already funded. So if you've contributed, you're guaranteed the Margrave goodness. And you're helping to contribute to amazing stretch goals like cardboard pawns, additional encounters, more subclasses, more battle maps, extra art, and more. 
And if you like Don't Split the Podcast Network's James Intricasso, and who doesn't, he also contributed. That guy is everywhere. As a as a backer or as a writer? Uh, Probably both. both. <laughs> but definitely as a writer. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find out more by heading over to kickstarter.com and searching for The Old Margrieve from Cobalt Press. All right. So today in the Character Creation Forge, we have The Lie Detector. Who better to tell when someone is being mind-controlled? Or, you know, uh, a rogue who weaponizes insight, I guess, Mm -hmm. is what we're doing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Which is made possible thanks to Xanathar's, because we get a cool new subclass, or new-ish subclass, the Inquisitive. So what's the build? It is Inquisitive Rogue 4, Warlock 2, Lorebard 14. All right, so from Rogue... Obviously, we'll get expertise. We'll take insight and perception. We'll grab some cunning action and sneak attack, and we're going to level four to get that ASI. But at level three, inquisitive means that we can no longer roll less than an eight on an insight check. It is um, a reliable talent light, mm-hmm. but for only a three-level investment, which is great. And then a successful insight check allows you to use sneak attack. Uh, yeah, even when you couldn't. Um, and then as bonus actions, you can make a perception or investigate checks anytime you want, which is great. There's really no reason for you not to be doing that. Right. Um, and perception, like insight is the, is the skill that is used to see if someone is lying, to figure out if someone like is acting sort of out of character. But perception will also give you things like, are they particularly sweaty? Um, is, is there some sort of mark? Uh, yeah, what is that tattoo on the back of their hand? Could that be relevant? <laughs> they have a strange symbol in the middle of their forehead and it's glowing. Is something going on? <laughs> Lightning bolt scar, what? <laughs> All right, so for Morlock, uh, we're basically just here for two invocations, although, you know, you get the bunch of other goodies. Um, the one you want is Eldritch Sight which lets you cast Detect Magic at will because sometimes people glow when they're under magical coercion or their illusions. Mm-hmm. Um, you got a bunch of other options. I think maybe Devil's Sight, which lets you see in magical darkness because it's hard to tell if someone's lying if you can only hear them. I mean, harder anyway. Yep. And then 14 levels of Bard. That'll get us up to 7th level spells, which seems like overkill just to get Zone of Truth, Ishan. <laughs> Okay, but we we also want uh, True Seeing, which is a six-level spell. Okay, you can't lie to me with my eyes either. <laughs> uh, you'll get six, six magical secrets, four more expertises, and jack-of-all-trades. So you're really good at everything, but you're particularly good at insight. You'll also get cutting words. And the thing that we're actually here for is Peerless Skill at level 14, which lets you add uh, your Inspiration die to a skill check. So you're getting the best of both worlds. You have most of Reliable Talent, right? You're rolling minimum an 8. Plus you have Expertise. uh, Plus you're going to go with High Wisdom. And then if you really feel like it, after you've already rolled the die, you can be like, eh, let's just throw an extra D10 on top of that. Yeah, somehow my minimum check didn't cover this. So here we go. Sometimes those are there are like impossibly high checks to be like, uh, uh, I got a 42. All yeah. right, you can tell he's a Rakshasa. Fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like, huh, I don't know if 35 is going to do this. Let's go for 40. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Fine. <laughs> uh, so leveling order, I think you're basically just going to want to go in order. Rogue 4 to get the goodies and an ASI 
dip into Warlock to get that Eldritch Sight and then bar, bar to the end. Yeah, that's w- one thing that's kind of funny about how this build works out is that you go from being sort of more of a melee focus probably as a rogue to then being very Eldritch Blast focused as a Warlock for that level until you can kind of catch back up to power with the bard levels. Yeah, I think it is it sort of interesting where you know you'll you'll probably take like booming blade or green flame green flame at um, low bard levels uh, or warlock, and um, then as you sort of like gravitate more toward uh, spell casting, it's almost like you're beginning to use more mind controlling effects like hypnotic pattern. Mm-hmm. So Ishan, who is your lie detector? I think my lie detector um, started out as a detective. You know, small time. Uh, maybe even like on some sort of like police force, uh, you know, like dealing with petty crimes and, you know, had just had a knack for telling when people were lying or, you know, interrogations. Uh, and then I think probably, you know, they went on uh, out on their own because they, it's much more lucrative to, you know, find somebody's uh, missing jewels rather than uh, to locate a pickpocket. Um, but I think as they sort of delve into this seedy underbelly of of the city, they realize that like there are different kinds of lies out there. There are, you know, untruths, and then there are uh, magical coercions, and there are shapeshifters, and there are things that the regular human eye just can't tell. Um, and that's when they sort of you know head to the library, dig in, um, and delve into this. A strange Cthulhu-esque world and actually become a part of it. They learn to cast their own spells to counter these these magics, to see through illusions, um, to force people, to compel them to tell the truth, and eventually to turn them on their enemies. Hmm. Um, so they, you know, they've become the darkness that they, they sought to eradicate in the first place. They're fighting fire with fire. Okay. What about your lie detector? You know, there's... Also, three... I should have said fighting liar with liar. Ah, all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, opportunity ruined. Not editing that back in. All right. Who was your lie detector? So lying tends to go along with two other things. Cheating and stealing, right? Very true. Now, where is a place that uh, that it might be valuable uh, or where people might be tempted to cheat and steal in order to um, get some, perhaps some money or some chips from people who rightfully own them? Politics. Well, yes, or a casino. <laughs> or a casino, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so my lie detector was Did you trained... build Trump both politics and casinos? <laughs> Damn it. No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Real quick. So my lie detector uh, grew up in that very underbelly that you described, right? Not on the right side of the law, but sort of on the the gray part of the law. On the left side of the law. Yeah. the uh, My lie detector was patrolled around the casino floor to make sure that all the games were on the up and up that you know none of the players were cheating that none of the dealers were cheating like making sure basically that um everything was running a tight ship so in order to do that you have to be rather insightful very perceptive um sometimes you've got to deal harshly with patrons who are attempting to cheat your house so that everybody knows that you can't come to this casino and cheat you know no one wants anything more than a fair game Um, which is a very handy set of skills for adventurers, as it turns out. And when you end up getting dispatched to uh, deal with some of these problems yourself, well, you realize those skills would be handy elsewhere. I'm not tied to this casino. I can go do other things. So 
I will weaponize my incredible powers of insight and perception uh, for my own benefit, not some casino boss's benefit. Yeah, and somehow, for some reason, this casino is losing money. So (laughs) I should leave before it goes under. (laughs) It's weird. It's like they just had one bad night. I'm not going to show up to work tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, I like that, you know, we didn't talk about this, but they they get so many expertises. One of those could easily be intimidation, which is like perfect for a pit boss. Oh, yeah. Or, uh, you know, I mean, with persuasion and intimidation, it's pretty good for a gambler, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, the best gamblers are people who work at a casino and go to a different casino. Right. Okay. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and if you do so, we will read it on the air. This is Total Party Killing It by Dr. Doomtron. This is hands down the best GM advice podcast around. Ishin and Shane are both entertaining and educational. So much so that they inspired one of my players to start running his own game, letting me be a player, and rescuing me from my forever GM status. They both have my eternal gratitude. Clayton. You know, I love helping out a DM in distress. Yeah, and I love hearing that people, uh, like new DMs, are inspired to give it a try. Yeah, you too can be a forever GM. Yeah. But then hopefully, you know, actually have one of your players take up the mantle. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, Clayton. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about adapting characters from other media. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building Tracer. Well, that's it for episode 168 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you by Elderwood Academy. They are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. Hey, I ran that gauntlet. Nailed it. All of their products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases, codexes, and other awesome fantasy gear that we love. So I think, you know what might make a good uh, Christmas present, because occasionally I get the the whole group uh, presents, Mm -hmm. is they've got like this dice catapult. You know, it's like uh, wood and rubber bands and you stick uh, a die in it. And, you know, instead of like rolling it down the, the box, you fling it across the room. Oh, that's a new new twist on an old classic. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't do it at my house. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't do it with D4s because that's just you're just setting caltrops. You want to use the, uh, the, the big metal D20 for that so you can do maximum damage. That's right. And directly at a window. Right. <laughs> because out the window, down 40 stories. Uh play it where it lies right (laughs) i think it's cocked in addition to that they have um, things like dice boxes and dice trays some of our players use both the dice boxes for transport as well as the dice trays in order to roll they are truly gorgeous wooden carved creations so you can find all of those products at elderwoodacademy.com and tell them that don't split the podcast network sent you with mind control (laughs) Topical.